Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Revenant by Clark Ashton Smith. This was a poem first published in a magazine called The Fantasy Fan, March 1934. It's actually a fanzine. And I don't really know its subsequent publication history. It's probably in some poetry collection by Clark Ashton Smith. Um, I think most people don't care about poetry, so I'm just going to say, You fools! This stuff's great! This poem's wonderful, and I think this particular poem has some really cool thing when I I told you, Eric, about it, um, how it is, where it is in a conversation between souls separated by continents, languages, and uh, centuries. Uh, and yet it's a beautiful sort of continuing song. I think that it it's just wonderful, and this is exactly why I like reading weird poetry. And what I mean by weird poetry is poetry of the weird, um, or the odd, or the unusual, the uncanny, the strange, um, rather than poetry that's just kind of weird, like, why are you reading that? <laughs> so, um... You know, two, two things mm-hmm. about that, mm-hmm. Jesse. Um, one, I, I think what you meant, and I just want to clarify this, when you say this is a poem about souls talking across the centuries, you're talking not simply about the content, because there's no conversation about no, no. content, but you're talking about the authors Indeed. of this and other poems. And and what happens is an author or a poet will read another poet's poetry and say, my God, this stuff is amazing! And then yes. they write their own poem, Right. and another poet or author will read that poem and go, dear God, who but this man across the centuries, right? And, 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 and that control over what someone in the future will do makes me want to go to the second thing, which is to point out that the word weird mm-hmm. comes from Old English, in which it means fate. I can see that. I can see that in... It's- the exactly. Weird Sisters. Something happens, and my God, how could that have happened? It's exactly what I didn't want, and it's exactly what the fates gave to me. Yeah. That's fate. That's how I felt when I found this. Uh, you know, I'm just reading Clark Ashton Smith poems. I say, oh, there's a Clark Ashton Smith in here. I'll read that. And then suddenly it clicked in my head that this is not just what it is. It's also in conversation or in continuing song with previous poems and that that previous poem is now connected to the previous poem and and that continuity is amazing so when i was kid and i read clark ashton smith i already knew i mean when i was when i was you know in the 1950s um reading clark ashton smith as it was coming out in magazines um i already knew that he was, in a sense, part of a, a school of writers, of whom, of which the most prominent was someone else, whom I am not naming now, although his name is not Voldemort, because I want to get to a question for you. Mm-hmm. Before we read the poem 
and ask people to think about it. You said as you began to read it, it clicked into place that this poem is part of a a fated, perhaps, uh, set of works through the centuries and through different people's souls, you said. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first read it, um, and when I first read Clark Ashton Smith as a kid, I didn't think of him as, well, that's the name of a person who writes some stuff. I thought of him as, this is a person who writes some stuff that is related to this other stuff I already know. Sure, sure. Now, Now, knowing that, may bear on how one takes the work. So what I guess I want to ask you is, do you think that when you began reading this, you already began by saying to yourself, ah, this is Clark Ashton Smith, and I know the following things about him. And if you did, is that something we should share with people who are listening to us now who may not have associations with Clark Ashton Smith? Should we... Should we say, you know, when I read these words, this comes to me? Because just as it would be a different reading experience if the letters were all three times bigger with gold flames coming out instead of serifs, um, there's something different if you already come in thinking, ah, I know something about this author and Mm -hmm. where he fits in my intellectual universe. So do we tell people or not? Yeah, I I think I think all dedicated listeners to this podcast will remember that we did in episode 50 of Clark Ashton Smith's story and in episode 129 we did a Clark Ashton Smith uh, prose poem and there's a Baudelaire uh, translation by P- uh, Smith that we did uh, on this podcast too. I don't have the episode number for that in my head, but... Um, other than that, other than those those dedicated listeners, even more dedicated than me, I think we should probably mention something about who he is and how he fits into this grand scheme of then literature. I think, should, I, I think you should mention then something about who he is. So he was a poet who uh, started off in a sort of a big bang as a there was a, a, a massive headline in practically every daily newspaper um, with often his face uh, photographed on the cover of that newspaper, I guess it was a slow news week, saying, genius boy poet lives in remotest California desert with parents, uh, is genius. (laughs) And then he sort of proves it over the next decades by putting out a ton of poetry that's just, as far as I can tell, he hasn't written a bad word, um, and uh, also stories, and he's heavily involved in Weird Tales magazine. Um, he's, he don't think he wrote a ton of longer pieces, but um, he's very much um, thought of as one of those who could um, who could compete with H.P. Lovecraft if they were competing, which they were not. They were um, friends. They were. Um, that's important, and they were already friends for several years at the time of the publication of this story. So since Lovecraft is the person whose name, I think, labels a whole genre of weird, um, and he was one of the mainstays of Weird Tales, the magazine, that is Lovecraft was, 
whenever I see Clark Ashton Smith, the first thing I'm thinking is, hmm, how Lovecraftian is this going to be? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rather than how Smithian is it going to be? Which is perhaps unfair and, and generous. It's unfair because it makes it seem as if you're thinking about the work of the student and not the master, but it is fair in that we know that that's a heck of a master. Um, it's true. It's true. Disposed to accepting what he says. I think we should get to the poem, but I, I, I just want to back up what you're saying. That's exactly how I came to Smith. It's like, oh, this guy also wrote Lovecraft stuff. <laughs> but actually, um, they grew up in parallel rather than, you know, one was one was the master and the other was the student. Uh, Clark Ashton Smith's career as a writer, I think, begins a little bit before because because he's just more active as a youth than Lovecraft was, than Lovecraft, and they sort of found each other. Um, Clark Ashton Smith is basically forgotten today, except by people who like poetry and a little bit of weird fiction, whereas Lovecraft is, you know, stamped all over everything, and and he is not writing exactly the same thing as Lovecraft, although that was what I thought. Oh, he's just doing inf inferior Lovecraft. But the more you, you read Smith, you, the more you realize that he he has a similar aesthetic, and that's because they have um, similar interests. And I think that that bears out in our later discussion. So, okay, so let's get to it. Let's get to it. Uh, would you read uh, Revenant by Clark Ashton Smith for us? Gladly. I am the specter who returns unto some desolate world and ruin born afar on the black flowing of Lithian skies. Ever I search in cryptic galleries the void sarcophagi, the broken urns of many a vanished avatar, or haunt the gloom of grumbling pylons vast in temples that enshrine the shadowy past. Viewless, impalpable, and fleet, I roam stupendous avenues and greet familiar sphinxes carved from everlasting stone where the air, brittle gods of long ago, decayed and fallen low, and there I mark the tall clepsamier that time has, overthr that, that time has overthrown, an empty clepsidre, and dials drowned in umbrage never lifting, and there on rusty parapens to read the ephemerides of antique stars and elder planets drifting oblivionward in night, and there with purples of the tomb bedight and crowned with funeral gems, I hold aloft the throne whereon mine immemorial selves have sate canopied by the triple-tinted glory of the three suns forever paled and flown. I am the specter who returns and dwells content with his forlorn estate in mansions lost and hoary, where no lamp burns, who feasts within the sepulcher and finds the ancient shadows lovelier than gardens all emblazed with sevenfold noon or topaz-builded towers that throng below some iris-pouring moon, exiled and homeless in the younger stars. Henceforth I shall inhabit that gray clime whose days belong to primal calendars, nor would I come again back to the garish, terrene hours, for I am 
free of vaults unfathomable and treasures lost from time with bat and vampire. There I flit through somber skies immeasurable or fly down the unending subterranes, mummied and ceremented. I sit in councils of the kingly dead and oftentimes for vestiture I wear the granite of great idols looming darkly in Ant- Atlantean fanes, or closely now and starkly I cling as clings the attenuating air about the ruins bare. <laughs> he is so good. I, I, I know he's good because... He's making me do all this work, and then when I get it, I feel like, oh my god, I got it. And then he throws... A, do you see how many new vocabs? Like, when I went through this, I'm like, uh, I know I know what Lethian means, because I've been studying. But, uh, klepsamier? <laughs> or, how do you even say that? Klep, klepsamier? klepsamier? Wow. So, there's a lot of words. I that, just want to point out, yep. you know, that word isn't even in the Oxford English Dictionary. I know, right? It's I, I had to find it in an early 19th century edition of Merriam-Webster. I mean, of Webster. And he, he rhymes it with another word that doesn't practically exist in anybody's vocab either. Eclipsidre? Cl- right. <laughs> so I'm looking things up left and right. Um, and then he has uh, para, parapegums. Parapegums. <laughs> I think it's parapames. Parapames. You know, yeah. EGM is like diaphragm. And you don't say diaphragm. Eph- you say diaphragm. Ephemeries. I, I want to use ephemeries myself uh, on no, a daily it's, basis. Ephemerides. Ephemerides. Okay. I want to use ephemerides. But um, I, I want to point out because you know it's lovely that the sounds are terrific, but he's better even than that, and yeah. I know you know it. Um, Clipsalia are sand. Are, are hourglasses mm-hmm. made with sand, and clepsidrae are water glasses. That is, it's a time water clock. Yeah, with, exactly. So those two words that pull you up short are actually about the keeping of time, which is being pulled up short, and they fall into a set of words about time that you've got to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That's very clever of him. It's not just throwing out an arcane word. It's putting an arcane word in a key rhyming position so that we will see them and pay attention to them and realize that they are connected. Whether it is sand or it is water, it runs through our lives. This is good. It is. Um, There's another one there. The um, How do we say it? Parapams? Parapams. Parapams. Okay. So uh, I looked that one up too. Metal tablets with... Uh, laws or events, right? Listed on, listed on them. Basically, it's a. Uh, I was here. I conquered. Uh, I'm awesome, and now it's all. It, it's in the past, right? So he's got them as rusty parapems, or however you say that word. Um, and then the next line. Wait, uh, wait. There's yep. an older meaning of that, and since we're talking about things receding or being locked in the past, after all the rusty parapens. In fact, in ancient Greece, which is where the word comes from, it was a fixed period of time. Ah. So it works right in with those others, as does the word dials, 
which is clearly meant in the preceding line, which sure. is clearly from sundials. Right. And then uh, the the last of that sort of section, it's not a stanza exactly, but I think of it as a section uh, about time mostly. Um, he says, I read the ephemerides, or is that how you say it? Ephemerides. Ephemerides. Okay, so those I looked up are trajectories of astronomical objects, a.k.a. orbits or comets. You know, how a comet moves, how... So this is... Ah, uh, that's, that's a, that is a very specialized meaning. It has a broader meaning. It's the plural of ephemeris. And ephemeral meaning... Well, ephemeral, it means something that just, you know, is of transitory uh, existence. It comes from the word ephemeris, which is a record of daily occurrences. Mm-hmm. Right? So the word ephemeral, as does the word diary, it's stuff that is really relevant only for a day. Yeah. And, and so uh, ephemerides are things that are relevant only for a day. It's like uh, the plural of the noun ephemeris, and ephemeris is the noun of the adjective ephemeral. So it's another time word. Right. And it, it fits in with the next line, which is of antique stars. So stars yeah. long long past. Um, so what we haven't mentioned so far in our appreciation of this poem is that um, who the I is, the, the line, I am the specter who returns, begins both stanzas. Indeed. To me, this was a mystery. And I love a mystery, especially a poetic mystery. Who is the narrator? What is he talking about? Why does he do these strange things? And uh, looking as to who, what, what the p- first piece of evidence for it, what the, the major clue was, um, I looked to the title, Revenant. And something clicked in my brain, and it said to me... Jesse, you've read a poem called The Revenant that is somehow connected to Clark Ashton Smith. Um, figure that out. And then I, I did. I went and figured it out. And I, I don't know how I found it, but I, I was skipping through some old binder full of notes or something. And I found a drawing I had done based on a poem by Charles Baudelaire that had been translated by Clark Ashton Smith into English and published uh, five years earlier. Uh, wait, is that right? Five years earlier? Yeah. Five years earlier in Weird Tales. It's called Le Revenant in that version. And uh, if you don't mind, I will read that for us. Yeah, sure. Le Revenant by Charles Baudelaire, translated by Clark Ashton Smith. Like an ill angel, tawny-eyed, I will return and stilly glide with shadows of the lunar dusk along thy chamber aired with musk. And I will give thee, ere I go, the kisses of a moon of snow and long caresses, chill unsleeping, of serpents on the marbles creeping. When lift again the bloodless dawn, sorry, when lifts again the bloodless dawn from out thy bed I shall be gone. Where all till eve is void and drear. Let others reign by love and ruth over thy life and all thy youth, but I am fain to rule by fear. Now, when I first read that poem, I was 
surprised to say I had the same reaction that I did with his later poem, uh, Revenant by Clark Ashton Smith. I, I said, who is this guy? Who is this guy who's creeping up on on whoever it is while you're sleeping? So I, I was thinking, well, I've read, a, I've read a bit of Baudelaire. He's kind of a mean boyfriend character. He's uh, we we did a poem uh, by him in which uh, he goes to the park or goes for a walk with his girlfriend. We assume, and he points out there's a dead dog, and he compares. Uh, this is how it works in my mind, anyways. He's comparing his girlfriend to that dead dog, and uh, it turns it something very creepy into something about sexuality. Um, so I was thinking, oh, this is him saying the same sort of thing. He's he's. Uh, I'm going to haunt you in your dreams at night. You're going to think about me, ha, 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 even after I'm dead. Which is kind of a mean thing to do, but that sounds kind of like what Baudelaire's sort of personality is a bit like. I may be conflating him a bit with uh, the Marquis de Sade. But um, I think that that neither of these uh, explanations are the best because what connects both of these poems together is a third poem that obviously Clark Ashton Smith, in my mind, and Charles Baudelaire were very familiar with and much appreciative of because lines from it appear in both poems, especially in The, Re- the Revenant by Clark Ashton Smith. Um, and you know that poem to be Dreamland by Edgar Allan Poe, one of my favorites. I, I do. I would just remind us that, in fact, Poe was enormously popular in France, mm-hmm. in part because his most prominent translator was Charles Baudelaire. Um, so, yep, indeedy, Baudelaire knew Poe well. And uh, you want to pull out some lines from Dreamland? That I you- do. Uh, we we actually did cover this one as well um, in episode eight, and um, I, I want to point you to line two of Dreamland. This was first published. Dreamland was first published in Graham's Ladies and Gentlemen's Magazine, June eighteen forty four. So there is nearly a century of, apart between the first and the last poems in this series, I guess, if it's a series uh, or con- the connections. And um, the second line, I'll just read the first three lines. By a route obscure and lonely, haunted by ill angels only, where an Eidolon named Night. And then it continues on a black throne. I can almost do it from memory, that poem. Um, one of these poems has ill angels in it. Am I wrong? Nope. Oh, there it no. is. Le Revenant. Like an ill angel, tawny-eyed. So, uh, Poe... The wordsmith, the word master that he was, he's coined a term, ill angel, that has haunted authors, obviously, for centuries. Um, but that's you know, not I, the only connection. There's many. But uh, I, I, continue. I want to see if I can find the Baudelaire, because ill angel is not Baudelaire's word. No, it's no. Ashton Smith's translation of Baudelaire. So let me see if I can, as we're speaking, find um, Baudelaire's original. Um, uh, 
aha. It doesn't say ill at all. It begins, uh, I'll just translate it into English, um, like the angels with a wild eye, I will come back to your alcove and glide toward you without noise with the shadows of the night. So he, the Baudelaire is quite different um, than the Poe in some ways. And by putting in the ill angels line uh, from Poe, I think it's clear that you are right, Jesse. Uh, Clark Ashton Smith is mining the Poe as well as the Baudelaire mm-hmm. because he's, he's, he's reconstructed the Baudelaire into a translation that sounds like a tighter fit with the Poe. It's really interesting. The, um, the major question for me, and I guess um, I, 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 we haven't pre-discussed this, so I, I want to hear what your guess is, if, if you can even guess, because it might even not be a, a good way to put it, that this is a mystery that needs to be solved. Who is the I? But I had, I had to figure out who it was. I spent a lot of time thinking about this poem, and I made a ton of notes trying to figure out who the I was. So uh, if you don't want me to put my guess out there first, I'm going to let you put your guess out first. I will put my guess out, but I want to say first that um, this is among the other connections. There is one that goes way back in time, um, which I'm sure Clark Ashton Smith was aware of, as was Poe. There is in Anglo-Saxon a genre of that is called riddle, um, and the riddles are you are first person. Um, I've found myself a list of them. Um, here's a, an easy one. I share a common fate with the sea, spinning the months around in alternate cycles. When the glory of my light flowing form wanes so, Two, the sea loses its swollen flood tides. What isn't written there, the last line would be, and it could be on all of these Anglo-Saxon riddles, who am I? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that one, of course, is the moon, and I've got a whole bunch of them. Um, so it's, I am this and I do that, and who am I? So I there's, think- a, there's a very famous one Tolkien uses in... In Lord of the Rings, what's well, famous to me because I I use it, uh, I use it with my students because when you're doing riddles, it's kind of a fun kid thing. So I'll do, just give it. This is Golem asked Bilbo this. I guess it's in, not in the. It's in the Hobbit. He says, "Alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsty, ever drinking, all in mail, never clinking. What am I, or who am I?" Alive that, of course, that, of course, is constructed by Tolkien, who Indeed. happens to be one of the ranking scholars of Anglo-Saxon of his generation. The answer to that one is a fish, by the way. That's so, yes. so great. So great. Alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsty, ever drinking, all in mail, never clinking. So brilliant. Right. So what we've got is uh, uh, a riddle here. Indeed, I think that that's what it is, and it's and, it's a challenge. And then, and then the question that you so it puts it as part of that's that's yet another poetic tradition because although I was reading you a prose translation um, of Anglo-Saxon, they were are originally written in in ver, in poetry in verse, although Anglo-Saxon verses 
quantitative, um, that is the syllable length rather than rhyme that's most important. Um, but uh, Tolkien picks it up. So I'm trying to suggest that this poem not only, as you wisely point out, gives us a tradition of specific authors with a specific images over the course of a century, but it participates in a genre that goes back over a millennium. And I think that's crucial to understanding the, the theme of it, because whoever I am, I is someone who transcends time, because yes. when it has all stopped, when the sundials, when the dials are done, and the, the, the pylons have fallen and so on, I am still there. So, um, I have my guess too, but <laughs> why steal your thunder? Let's see if we've got the same thunder. What's, All right. What's your answer to the riddle, Jesse? Uh, I think my answer to the riddle makes more sense um, if I look back at how foolish I was in describing who the the revenant of the original Charles Baudelaire poem was. I, I My idea was that it was a ghost of the boyfriend coming back to creep on his girlfriend. I think that's a very bad answer. I think the best answer is darkness. Ah. And I believe that fits with the Revenant, uh, just Revenant by Clark Ashton Smith as well. But I can see that there's many other possibilities as well. And the fact that he he didn't give us, you know, there's no answer page where <laughs> <laughs> we are stuck with our own best answers. So is that what you had guessed or something like it? It is not. Oh, uh, good. The reason, the reason it is not is that uh, darkness does not always lead to decay and death. Um, darkness can be uh, a place of refuge, you know. Um, but everything here that refers to time has to do with decay and death. Mm -hmm. So it seemed to me that that I um, might be sort of a personification of the love of death. And I named mm -hmm. that that new god Thanatophilos. <laughs> uh, I'm am a worshipper already. <laughs> but one could, if one wanted to, I say, I suppose, just call it death itself, personified. But that that might be Thanatophilos. Mm -hmm. So I made up an answer for who I is. Um, I, if you're worshiping at that temple, then. Uh, whether he's a false god or even an intended one by Clark Ashton Smith, obviously there is something resonant about this revenant. Mm -hmm. Great poem. It's wonderful that a poet can, as you said when we began, not only make us work hard, but make us glad that we work hard. Mm -hmm. That's why... There's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.